Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're a newbie, welcome aboard. We will be celebrating 10 years of Houston Sports Talk next week, so stay tuned for a special show. Between me and Sean, you're getting 45 years in journalism, so you're in very good hands talking all of Houston sports. And later on the show, what the loss of Kevin Porter Jr. could mean to the Rockets and the Cougs start Big 12 play off the most disappointing loss in years. But, Sean, let's start with the Texans. Did you see the third and fourth best rookies, according to Pro Football Focus, in week one were Will Anderson and Henry Toa Toa. They only trailed Jalen Carter and the Steelers' nose tackle, Keanu Benton. Did you see that one? I did, man. It's uh, pretty impressive. Uh, You know, at least for uh, what we saw from Will Anderson, no surprise, right? One of the very best performances, rookie or not. I mean, the guy was just uh, harassing Ravens in the backfield, you know, on the regular this past Sunday. He's going to be nice. (laughs) He's going to be nice. And, uh, you know, Toa Toa kind of, all right, let's see some more because only 22 snaps, you know, defensively for him. Sure, in those 22 snaps, he graded out really, really well. And I guess really in that regard, no surprise there because he'd kind of been, you know, flashing. Uh, I don't even want to say flashing. I mean, he'd been showing just how consistent he can be throughout training camp, throughout the preseason, practicing. It's going to be interesting to see like his snap load increase and if he can kind of keep that sort of uh, production up and get this – Keep this defense running as well as it looked really uh, all, all day Sunday. Hey, if you're listening to us or watching us, let us know. What do you think? Give us a comment. What do you think about how they looked the first week? What do you think coming up this week against the Colts? And, Sean, I, I don't know if you had a chance to look back at some of the All-22 on Will Anderson, but, you know, we, we saw a little bit of it. You're paying attention to him. But when you start watching the All-22 and, like, just some of the stuff that he was doing, you sort of put the – you know, the highlights together from last week, you're like, well, if this isn't Lamar Jackson back there, maybe we really would have been talking even more about him. And the fact is, he was impressive enough just looking at the numbers. You know, one sack might not sound like a, a bunch, but it's it's 17 sacks, you know, at the end of the season at this rate. Yeah, well, I think it was, uh, what, six pressures, you know, you had the sack, a couple of TFLs, I believe. Um, I mean, he was just back there affecting plays. Matt Burke spoke to the media uh, today, Thursday. We asked him, like, hey, you know, what did you like? What does he need to improve upon? And when he got to the part about improving for Will Anderson, I thought it was kind of the most interesting because we all know what we liked. He liked the same thing. But it was like, what does he need to actually work on? And he pointed to um, a couple of things, particularly uh, instances in which, you know, he just – he didn't lower his shoulder and just kind of fight through a block uh, on on an instance or two. And if it wasn't Lamar Jackson back there, but by the same token, it's going to be Anthony Richardson back there. Both, both very similar skill sets, athleticism, speed can make you miss, you know, good scrambling guys in that regard. If you miss, if you step up in a gap a little bit too much or not enough, or if you don't fight through a block, or if you don't take advantage of a freaking tight end on you, then those guys will make you pay. And I think that's kind of a wink and a nod saying, hey, you know, look, as good as you did, there's a lot of things that we can clean up on. And you've got a similar test, you know, this weekend 
with Anthony Richardson coming in. I mean, heck, he ran the ball 10 times. You don't want your quarterback running 10 times. I'm sure the Colts are going to be trying to clean that up. But by the same token, if I'm the Colts, I'm looking at ways that I can get Anthony Richardson out there on some maybe some designed runs where I can exploit a rookie like Will Anderson from maybe taking a poor angle or over-pursuing too much. So it's going to be an interesting little battle Sunday at NRG. So we also had uh, the news that Noah Brown and Hassan Ridgeway go to the IR. Sean, I'm just thinking out loud here, but could Noah Brown's loss help the Texans by speeding up the development of Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchinson? It'd, it'd be nice to see a little bit more of the younger guys. I mean, Noah Brown obviously looked good, but those guys have the future in your hands right there. Look, I like Noah Brown as another veteran option, you know, next to Robert Woods, somebody that you can kind of, you know, trust. You got to get a ball to him in a tight situation. Robert Woods was clearly that guy much of the day this past Sunday, and there wasn't a lot of opportunities. I mean, heck, he had like four third down conversions, and three of them were all on one drive, and they were bam, bam, bam. Uh, Noah Brown was given a shot. He got some targets. Had a couple of really good catches, but I just didn't like the way they used him. The way that they wanted to use Noah Brown is kind of like how I'd like to see them use Tank Dell, where they were looking to get him, you know, into space and, you know, put him in a position to where he could make guy miss. Tank Dell, that's that's his calling card. That's his MO. He's gonna make a lot of guys miss, and he's an exceptional route runner. You use the word development. I don't I don't even know that 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 word needs to be in the vernacular like when you're talking about a, a guy like Tank Dell because we've seen already in his development, he fits this system perfectly. They've used the heck out of him. You know, in any red zone drill that they were doing in training camp and in the preseason, they've used the heck out of him, you know, when they tried to throw underneath, get him into space. And those are all things that I felt like should have come into play much, much more this past Sunday and can come into play with a very similar Colts defense, you know, with guys like DeForest Buckner and Shaq Leonard going to be back there trying to harass C.J. Stroud and stopping a run game. You've got to have the ability to get the ball out quick and get it to a playmaker. Well, you got Tank Dell. So I think de facto, with Noah Brown going on the IR, you're going to see an increase in workload for Tank Dell. But I also think, too, this is a big week for him because if he shows the Texans and Bobby Slowick and gives them that confidence that they can trust him in situations, it's only going to be an increase of a role from here. But keep an eye on John Mechie, who's back at practice this week. Keep an eye on Steven Sims because now you have to get a little bit more creative going forward with Zettner on the on the roster, active now every week until Cam Johnson comes back. Two guys on IR there's a lot of more a lot more moving parts so maybe they decide to carry an extra receiver maybe they don't maybe they need another interior lineman they just signed some guy named Dogbo over the last couple of days i don't know how much he'll factor in outside of just being a body in practice but cuz you feel pretty good you know about your top two guys there anyway not named Hassan Ridgeway so it'll be interesting to see I, i'm just talking about the development of Tank Dell is him being more on the field, which, you know, I just didn't feel like he was on the field. No, what was it like 40? What did he get? Like 48% of the snaps, right? And so I think they took, what, 69 snaps. It was 44 pass attempts for Stroud. He got sacked five times, so that was 49. You rushed the ball 23 times, right? So it's about, what, 69 snaps, 70 snaps, something like that. That means Tank Dell was on the field for like 31 snaps. Stupid. Just ridiculous. That was equally as dumb 
maybe not as dumb as the Texans giving up on the run game when they did and only giving Demi and Pierce 11 carries. But all of that's got to change. And I have to say this, you know, it's nice for once. I don't know. It's been a, it's been a lot of years to have an offensive coordinator own it and take some accountability and be as transparent as Bobby Slowick was today when he spoke with the media. Obviously, look, D'Amico kind of uh, teed it up for him because the day after the game, and hell, really, the post-game press conference after the game, after the loss on Sunday, D'Amico said a couple of times, procedure and uh, operation, it needs to get better offensively, and it should be. There's no reason that it shouldn't have been that way, especially as much as they talked it up over the course of training camp and in the preseason in terms of just being systematic and boom, 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 having something ready to go and being efficient that way. Slowick owned it, so I, I fully expect all of those things to improve, and I think it's going to, especially when you've got a guy, a weapon on the field, whom your quarterback wanted the night that he was drafted. He said, go get Tank. I want Tank. They went and got Tank. Now you got to use him. Yeah, and he also owned the fact that he didn't run Damian Pierce enough. And when I rewatched the game, Sean, it was maybe even more egregious than I thought. It was. Um, you know, I I didn't rewatch like the whole game. I just there's little sequences that I wanted to go back and look at. And it was the uh the possession that led to the fourth down, you know, where they had that kind of Brain fart, uh, just miscommunication, maybe that over-aggressiveness, however you want to couch it. D'Amico said, like, hey, I'd do it again if I could. I think it was the first possession of the, the third quarter. They got the ball, like, around 9.50, and they ended up uh, turning it over on downs around 7.35. Stroud went pass, pass, pass before that fourth down, and they ran it on fourth and one. It was a 15-6 to six ball game at that point in time. You had a full arsenal of timeouts. You could have... Uh, gotten whatever play you wanted in. I think they wanted that play on fourth down. But that that was a huge sequence to me because it was at that point where I just kind of said to myself at the time watching the game, like, what are we doing? Like, impose your will. You, you said you wanted the identity of this offense to be run and run first. And Damian Pierce is that dog. Well, let him show you that he can be that dog. Heck, in the first half, he carried the ball six, seven times for 4.2 yards per carry. Here you are on one of the biggest series of the entire ball game. Feed this guy the football and see if he can get you into a third and manageable, and then let Stroud you know, do what he did in the second quarter. I, I think there was a playbook, Sean, where they were like, well, we're going to bring Singletary in on this possession and this possession. And what happened was they didn't move the ball the first few possessions. So it's not like you're going to run Damian Pierce into the ground if he gets one or two carries and you, then you punt. Mm -hmm. And I think what they did, what was going on is there was some sort of playbook before the game of, okay, he gets this possession and this possession. And by the third possession, to rest him, we're going to bring in Singletary. That's where, as an offensive coordinator, it's one of the things he's going to have to work on here. That just sounds like, preseason you know like you you got to be able to think on the move and you know these are the types of expectations that we have for a guy 
that is coming from one of the most fluid minds in the game in Kyle Shanahan that had the opportunity, you know, for two years to work and understand and, you know, almost get become expert level at the analytics side of things working for pro football focus, right? We're expecting a guy who sees the game through these different lenses to be able to be that fast thinker. But I think he, he gets a little bit of a pass because it's his first game too. It was D'Amico's first game, Stroud's first game, da 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 so on and so forth. It's just got, it's go time. The bar is set and albeit it might be very low for, for Bobby Slowick, you got to This is a must-win game for him. I'm not saying the Texans got to win this game. I'm saying like he's got to outperform that week one, and it shouldn't be hard to do because from tempo, from getting in and out of the huddle, from using your personnel the right way, being more fluid of a thinker, you know, in situations, you, you've got to be able to put your guys in the best possible position. And so many times across the board, offensively speaking. The Texans failed against the Ravens, and it was miraculous that they were even in that game through two and a half quarters, to be quite honest with you. You talk about the pace, and both Slowick and D'Amico said the pace was poor. D'Amico said it, I think, in the postgame, and then Slowick repeated it. Mm-hmm. And, Sean, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they correct the issue because I'm tired as a Texan fan of bad offenses, but even more so tired of not getting plays in sooner and just never trying to make the defense uncomfortable where you're, you know, play, playing at a pace that, hey, they're a little bit off balance. You you got a first down or, you know, it's it's third and two, and they're not getting 40 seconds to set up. And I'll, I'll point to this, and you're right. I, I'm in full agreement with you, and we're talking about just the game in general. But I'll point to this instance on that same possession in the third quarter where they went forward on fourth and one again and lost it on the Damian Pierce outside zone run. They tried to go hurry up there. We got an explanation four days after the fact, but it's an explanation nonetheless. Cody Stutes asked Slowick about it, and he said a couple of things in there that really kind of struck us, and we got confirmation after talking with John Harris, the Texan sideline reporter, and we figured out what exactly went on there. Slowick said, well, we didn't want to substitute, And, you know, the referees kind of got us on that one. A player had stepped onto the field, like a couple of yards onto the field. We were like, well, who was the player? You know, did they think they were going to punt? Did they think they were going in on fourth down? Like, what was the situation there? And Slowick had said something else that kind of struck me, too, and it's slipping my mind right now. But we went back and asked John Harris after Slowick spoke today. We're like, hey, well, who was the player? What did you see? And he broke the whole thing down for us. He was like, well, Damian Pierce because it was Mike Boonin on the third down. Damian Pierce stepped foot on the field thinking that he was going to go in. They end up having to make that late substitution, so they make the substitution. They try to still hurry up and get to the ball. Play was ready to go. The refs stopped it, allowed the Ravens to make a sub if they wanted to, which I think they did. They brought in an extra interior lineman. Then the play was gone. But slow. here was the other nugget that Slowick said. He said, well, we still liked the play that we had initially, and we felt even better about it because we got to see the Ravens set already. Or I'm thinking in my mind, well, the Ravens got to see your set. And, yeah. you know, it's a fourth and one. You don't have to burn a time out there. If you don't like it, let the play clock go down, take the five-yard penalty, and just punt. That's one of those things that kind of scare me because D'Amico, you know, I think it was on Monday, said, hey, 
give it to me again and I'm going to do the same thing. I like being aggressive. Well, there's a good way to be aggressive and then there's an irresponsible way to be aggressive. And I just think when you're on the road against that defense in that situation, where you are on the field, it's never a good call. You punt that ball 10 times out of 10. However, you got to arrive to that point. Yeah, I'll just throw that out there as a red flag. Not the red flag that we used to see it in the NFL, but just a red flag we got to be careful with 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 these uh, co- with this coaching staff and these two guys. What are the odds Jimmy Ward or Jalen Petrie play versus the Colts, Sean? Not good as of right now. No, no Jimmy Ward at practice today. No Jalen Petrie at practice today. No Neville Hewitt, for that matter, at practice today. Laramie Tunsil was back and uh, dressed in full. And it looked like full participation. They shut it down really early today, so we didn't get a chance to see a whole lot. But I didn't even see Jimmy Ward or Jalen Petrie in street clothes. Probably they're getting treatment. Maybe they came back out and, you know, went through the walkthroughs and, you know, we're a part of some team stuff. But, it, you know, it's Thursday. Uh, the true tell is going to be the injury report, which I have not yet seen released today. Uh, we'll be able to go out tomorrow morning at practice and view that for, you know, 10, 20 minutes, whatever it is. Get a good feel there. I, I don't know, and I I should have asked the question today. I don't know what kind of answer I would have gotten anyway. But Recording at Thursday, we should mention, Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I, I should have asked the question to Bobby Slowick or just somebody. Like, how long does it typically take for a dude that suffers a bruised lung that coughs up blood to get back on his feet and is ready to go again? You'd probably get a pretty decent idea of at least what to expect. Isn't that what happened to Deshaun against the Dolphins a couple of years ago? And then he played the next week. Do I remember that right? Uh, He had that bruised lung and they advised him, I think, not to fly. Right. And so instead of flying, I I think they were going to Jacksonville. So I think he took a freaking bus to Jacksonville and ended up playing. Right. Um, I don't remember Deshaun Watson ever missing a game due to injury outside of one that kept him out for the entirety of the season, which was an ACL. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right on that when he played. But I, if I remember correctly, he took that bus to Jacksonville or it was Jacksonville or Miami, one of the two. Yeah, it was, um, I think it was uh, it was Florida. Yeah, I want to say I it was did, Miami. I did hear Jimmy Ward listening and overhearing people talk about his hip situation, which may or may not really be a hip situation, but it's something close in that region that it doesn't appear to be 100% yet. So maybe don't expect him to play. That's kind of what I gathered, you know, from overhearing people talk. But, you know, we'll see. Tomorrow, Friday is going to be the real telltale. Here are the Texans' offensive line pro football focus grades because I decided to, oh, let me go look and see what they did. Tunsil was at 63.1, not great for your Pro Bowl left, ta- left tackle. And then Josh Jones, 43.7. This is the concern that you have with Josh Jones. He's been much better, again, at right tackle, and I'm still not sure that that's the right decision to play him at left guard. But anyway, Jared Patterson, 55.9. Uh, Shaq Mason, 56.9. And George Fant, 69.4. When I watched George Fant, it was a little scarier than 69.4, but I think the plays that he got beat, it was bad. So that's probably the issue. Sean, how much of the Texans' breakdowns, I want to ask you this, do you think had to do with a rookie center and a rookie quarterback not recognizing blitzes pre-snap? Because I don't think we talked about that in the post-game show. The answer is yes. I think it had uh, a lot to do with that. I think it also, you know, simply had a lot to do with Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, and that front seven of theirs. You saw it 
from the get-go. I mean, if you just went back and watched that first quarter and what they were doing, like the different looks, the stunts, the twists, the blitzes they were showing, um, I mean, that's a lot to take on, you know, on the road in that environment for a rookie or even a not a rookie. You know what I mean? And so, look, you already knew the Texans were up against the eight ball. Forget a rookie quarterback, but the rookie center and just a patchwork offensive line to begin with, picking up calls, understanding. Like, you forget about this. Like, it's boring. People don't want to talk about it, okay? But number one reason why you're uncomfortable and we're all really uncomfortable with Josh Jones at left guard and George Fan at right tackle, maybe less there than the left guard situation but are the steps zone blocking you have to move as a unit you know there are certain types of steps that you got to take and it's different sometimes you can get away with a little bit more on the edge than you can on the interior and if you're just not in sync if your landmark for where you want your hand to be on a shade or a three technique or a two eye whatever the case may be is off and your opponent's really freaking good, no matter how big you are. When you get to a point of big on big, badass on badass, technique is all that matters. And if it's bad, you're going to get exposed. So I'm not really shocked, you know, that Jones had a rough game. I'm not really shocked that Tunsil graded out so poorly because what did he have? Like three penalties, right? Was it the two holds? One of them was the phantom and the other one was a false start, I believe, right? Jones had a couple of holding penalties at least, I think. And, uh, you know, Fant, I'd have to go back and look at him, but the pressure that came from the right side, I'd like to see, did you go through Shaq Mason's numbers? Because they couldn't have been very good either. Yeah, the um, Shaq Mason numbers, actually, th- th- that grade was better than I thought Shaq Mason had played. <laughs> um, yeah, none of them looked very good at all. I mean, it was like they were all poor and they all just seemed really confused out there, but it wasn't just that. It was... The footwork was not good. There, there was one play, and, and I saw I would see Tunsil do this last year when I would go over some of the film, and, and this doesn't count. I don't know if this counts against him in a pro football focus grade, but he will have a tendency sometimes. There's some guy on, on, on the edge, on the outside, and for some reason, Tunsil decides, I'm, gonna let, I'm not worried about that guy. I'm worried about the guy to the right of me over by the guard. And I'm taking him. I'm like, Tunsil, your job, you you got to make sure the guy on the edge is not going to go anywhere. And and I remember him doing that. I want to say it was against the Broncos last year where I just got frustrated because, you know, it's like, you know, I, I thought this was about, oh, he's trying to help Kenyon Green out. You know, this is a helping a rookie out. Well, Josh Jones isn't a rookie. And, I, you know, he's not a veteran guard, but it's just. It was little stuff like that that was just driving me nuts. Yeah, I didn't see Jared Patterson really get knocked over, but there were times where just Shaq Mason looked off balance. George Fant looked way off balance. I mean, it reminded me of uh, some of those tackles that the Texans ran out there during the David Carr years. It was just not pretty. Grading offensive line, just as a blanket statement, is very difficult. Um, Especially without knowing what their job was on that particular play. Exactly. And, you know, you talking about Laramie Tunsil kind of letting an edge rusher go at times, maybe not even chipping him. Sometimes that is by design. You know, hey, it's Laramie Tunsil, you know, uh, at least chip the guy. Well, sometimes you don't want to touch that guy at all because you might have a scouting report on a guy or even just by play design. That guy, his route to a quarterback, he likes to get deep in the backfield before he knifes in. 
Okay, well, it might be a situation where they're in shotgun and maybe they send the motion guy in. Maybe it's a handoff, you know, off of a, a offset running back. I'm, and there's I'm a little jump cut lane. You know what I'm saying? You don't I'm, know. I'm particularly, though, talking about when I see there's it's a pass play mm-hmm. and that guy just gets a free run at the quarterback on a pass play. And it's not a quick script. It's not like a design oh, yeah. screen. It's not a design quick hitter. It's obvious when you watch the play, oh, it, that wasn't designed. And he just lets some guy off. The, you know, it, it, it's obviously it's, it, this would be totally different if it's a run, if I'm watching a run play and, and uh, you know, oh yeah, he's helping out on that particular guy. And maybe they just figure that guy's going to collapse, but he's not going to get there quick enough to the mm-hmm. other side. But this is, this is like basic pass play stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's concerning, right? And just without seeing anything, what that would speak to is maybe just a flat out miscommunication, right? Um, because if you're trying to help the guy next to you, maybe he's lined up in a, uh, a five technique or something like that, where he split you and the right guard in that instance, and you feel like, you know what, this guy's getting his ass whooped. I got to help, right? Well, you got two hands for a reason. You know, you can help by a punch. Yeah, your your number one responsibility is still your dude out there on the edge. So yeah, and that's the other thing is if I saw him go boom with the one hand and then come back to try to get the guy off the edge, but it was it was just basic. I'm gonna my concern is this guy and there's a guy to if there's a guy to the left of you and there's nobody else on that side. You know, it's not like when I'm watching this, I'm looking for everything. I'm telling you, there was there's no tight end out there. You know, it's just a receiver out wide and Tunsil has a guy on that side. Unless he thinks that guy's going to drop into coverage, but you can't assume that, especially when you've got a rookie that you're protecting back there, you can't assume that. And, and the situations that I'm watching, it's not like it's loaded up in the middle to where there's like three or four guys, you know, there's the standard, it's a standard where if everybody goes one, one to one, then, you know, you should be able to handle it. And that's the stuff that just drives me nuts about Tunsil. Uh, also on the pro football focus numbers, you brought something up that I didn't know. What did you see about Tavier Thomas and, and his pro football focus? Tavier Thomas, highest rated corner in the NFL week one. Uh, you know, people are going to quibble on whether or not like he's an actual true corner, you know, nickel corner or not, as opposed to maybe you could call him like a star linebacker. I think that's what they called Jalen Petrie for a little bit when he was playing linebacker at Baylor. Right. It's right. just that extra safety up in the box, but somebody that's going to be a little bit more physical, can cover sideline to sideline, stop the run as well. Um, I don't care. Tavier Thomas affected the game in a positive way. For a lot of people, um, you know, him getting cooked in that practice video by Xavier Hutchinson is going to stick in your mind a little bit. But at the end of the day, Dude made plays against the Ravens and gave the Texans opportunity, you know, turnover. I think they made good on that one, or maybe the Ravens actually. Uh, recovered the fumble that he'd caused on Jackson, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, the, the one concern that I think you still have to have going forward is when Tavier Thomas is on the field, what look is the Texans defense showing you? It's probably going to be zone. So, you know, good offensive coordinators when Tavier Thomas is on the field, if the Texans, you know, show tendencies that, hey, when they're in zone and Tavier's on the field, here's where their drops are. Well, we can exploit these spaces, right? And so you get the Texans maybe moving around, get them out of position a little bit. We might even see a little bit of that this weekend uh, against the Colts. That's going to be an interesting follow. It's only one week. 
but Tavier is not a man guy. And if they think they can get away with putting him out there and hiding him in man coverage, depending on the matchup, I think that's a tough ask for that guy. That's why you miss Desmond King as much as you do, because he did everything really well. He could be that that really solid nickel corner, but, you know, play in zone. When he moved outside for the last eight or nine weeks, last regular season, when Derek Stingley went down, you know, he had to play some man and he did really well there. But it's just his skill set. And Tommy here's a different kind of cat. You know, he's a more physical guy, somebody that's going to flourish more and sitting down in his zone, reading the quarterback, reading a route, maybe jumping it, coming up and making a play because he's in position to do so. He's sitting in a space. He's doing the, his job. The good thing about going up against Anthony Richardson is another quarterback, a veteran quarterback, quarterback might not know that, oh, yeah, we can exploit this. Tavier Thomas is yeah, going to be in zone. So that that might help. Uh, Sean, uh, just want to get your final thoughts. Remind everybody as well that uh, we're going to have our live post game show as usual this week after the Texans game. Um, and it's a home game, so it'll be a little bit later since Sean's out there and he's going to be in the locker room for a little bit. So just keep an eye out. We're going to be going on about an hour to an hour and a half or so after the game. But, you know, do you see D'Amico getting his first win this week? Strong possibility, right? Um, I mean, I think there's a lot you have to like. Um, just based on one week, what you saw from your defense versus Lamar Jackson, what's that going to look like against a guy that sure shares, you know, similar skill sets, abilities to Lamar and Anthony Richardson, but he's a rookie quarterback. How can you, uh, with your pass rush abilities and the options that they have to move Will Anderson all around that defensive line, you know, what kind of looks is D'Amico maybe feeling a little bit better about just based on that performance last Sunday that he might, you know, say, you know what, we're going to open things up a little bit and see how creative we can get and how disruptive we can let our guys be just based off of one player. Sometimes that opens up guys, uh, opens up plays for other guys. It kind of, I'm starting, maybe I'm getting too ahead of myself, but I'm thinking back to Will Anderson. It was his last year. No. Uh, second to last year at Alabama after he'd flashed, like everybody's like, oh, dude, this guy's a game breaker. He's just a disruptor. He's going to be absolute hell on our quarterbacks. They started double and triple teaming him and his production numbers, you know, dipped way down, you know, for him. I think he finished the year or whatever for like nine sacks or something. Hell of a lot different than, you know, 13, 14, 17 sacks, whatever it was that he had the year before. But he talks about that and he's like, you know what? I was never mad about my role being diminished, like in terms of production, because it opened up opportunities for other guys on that D line and for the linebackers They were paying so much attention to me. At the end of the day, we were still being successful. I want to see if that's going to be a little bit more of the case, you know, going forward. It's just one game, but there's no arguing just how disruptive Will was. Jonathan Grenard, for that matter, as well. You know, the Texans, from an edge rushing perspective, did an incredible job. I'd like to see if maybe Sheldon Rankins, that opens things up for him. Um, uh, Malik Collins, you know, if if he gets some opportunities to stuff a run in the backfield or knifes his way in for a quarterback because they're paying so much attention to those edge guys. So it'll be a good follow-up. Yeah. Do you remember who the guy that really beat up the Texans a lot last year in both games? <clears throat> he was really strong in both games as far as helping the Colts get the tie that first game and then the win the second game. You remember who? I don't remember particularly, but I imagine you're probably going to give me a name like Shaq Leonard or uh, uh, Buckner. 
Now there is this guy named Jonathan Taylor. Oh, and, Taylor. Yeah. Well, they don't have him, do they? Yeah, exactly. That's my <laughs> point. That's my point. So, uh, yeah, it's, that'll help the Texans a little bit, too. I just want to remind everybody. Uh, yeah. I want to switch gears over to uh, Kevin Porter and the Rockets because it looks like we've seen the last of KPJ and a Rockets jersey. And, Sean, I don't want to touch the legal side of the assault, but I, I just want to give a quick thought from a basketball perspective. Um, just get away from the controversy, I guess, and just get to the basketball. And it's going to be more playing time for Amen Thompson without Kevin Porter who could become the sole guard coming off the bench. In other words, you know, Sean, because Van Vliet is a good spot-up shooter, Amen works with either Van Vliet or Jalen. And I just think this is a big benefit for the future of the Rockets because I want to see more Amen Thompson. And this isn't like the last few years where the rookies just get carte blanche and they can get the play as much as they want. Um, And and so, you know, just to to have the opening there for Amen Thompson because – you know, there was a possibility if, you know, hey, if Kevin Porter's hot, he's getting most of the minutes at the one and the two spot, you know, for the Rockets coming off the bench. Yeah, I think it's addition by subtraction myself. Um, and maybe it's a little bit easier for me to say this, like, you know, in hindsight, but look, Porter's been a problem from, you know, a, a lack of maturity standpoint, from the kind of crap that you've had to deal with and worrying about him, what he's doing away from a basketball court. I mean, we'd seen multiple instances and now this obviously the most serious one in terms of the allegations. He's a 19, five and five guy. Okay. You're going to miss that the production, but best shooter shooter on the team. That's another thing that you're going to miss because he could shoot the ball. Yeah. There's no question about it, but I, I say addition by subtraction in the sense that look, you get, you get a cancerous guy, out of there and you're bringing in a young hungry super talented player who maybe his eyes got this big you know 24 48 hours ago whenever he first heard the news because he's thinking the same thing you just brought up he's like whoa if you're Amin thompson you're thinking my role just got a lot bigger this he maybe had 15 or 20 minutes a game coming to him and now it, it's he's it's much more wide open for him and i i love it i love it i mean look there's nothing more than like similarly to the Texans, you know, we're, we look forward to watching these young guys play and see what they got. And that's what it's all about in a rebuild, right? As you're trying to just get to the next level. I mean, this is huge for a guy like Amon Thompson, but it's huge for the fan base too, because now you're going to get to see this cat and just see what, what he's going to bring the ty- kind of winning basketball that he, that he plays, that he's been playing, you know, the last three, four years, like, the dude's really good. He's going to be really good with this core unit without that massive distraction. Before, I want to make this clear, before Porter gets caught up in all this stuff, he was still a distraction. You never knew what the hell this cat was going to do. He was just a, a, a smoking gun. Like, I'm so glad the, the Rockets are going to be done with him. I mean, best of luck to that whole situation and, you know, mostly to to the woman. But you know, just turn the page, get the heck away from that. And I think it's just going to be nothing but beneficial for the organization going forward. The other part about this is the other rookie that, you know, you and I were like, well, we don't know where the time is going to come for him to get some shots to play this year because, you know, this is such a packed roster. Well, all of a sudden you thought, okay, Dylan Brooks, Kevin Porter was going to back up for him maybe at the three Maybe it was Tari Eason, but Tari Eason, I, I feel like, is going to get some major time at the four with the with the current situation. And, you know, I'm not 
I'm not big into Jock Londale getting a lot of time at the five. So I think Tari was going to be bumped up to the four a lot. Mm -hmm. So that means this, this gives, there is a shot for Cam to play some, you know, the rookie gets a chance now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, hell, he should should have gotten a chance anyway. What did he finish? Uh, summer League MVP? Is that how he Yeah, <laughs> that, that's kind of meaningless to me. I don't care. Kid. I don't care. The dude, he was rewarded for, for his game. And you watch the performances, man. The guy can ball. And, okay, he did it, you know, against uh, first, second year. I don't care. <laughs> dude balled out, man. I want to see it. It just goes along to my point. Like, let's get these young guys some real playing time. You feel better about it. Because, like, hey, Bajani, how's it different than the last few years? Like, you had all this talent, and you were giving them all this playing time, and look what it yielded you. Yeah, but your coaching, you know, stunk because it was stifled, or maybe just flat out stunk to begin with. But it doesn't matter now. You have a legitimate dude in the Ime Odoka who I feel – a billion times better about steering the ship and coaching these guys and instilling core winning values in them than I do freaking Steven Silas. And certainly with Rafael Stone being meddlesome and conniving along the way, this is nothing but a good thing. That's a great point by Cam Whitmore. I'm excited now. You know, I don't know what I was expecting from him looking at the roster. It's like, man, maybe he's going to just get, you know, like garbage time. If that, like, I, maybe he's in line for some pretty good well, minutes now. Too. Well, the guy that's going to get in his way potentially is Jay Sean Tate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's the the one guy that you could see. Okay, he's the veteran. He knows how to play defense. Uh, so that that's the potential sort of person blocking him. But Whitmore, a better shooter, mm-hmm. and the Rockets without Kevin Porter, the shooting wasn't good to begin with. It just got a little bit worse. You know, we know what Dylan Brooks is as a shooter. We want to see Jabari and Jalen improve a lot. Shane Goon has got a mountain to climb with his yeah. shooting. Uh, and then you look at the bench, and Tari Eason is adequate, but he's nothing special. So shooting was going to be a, a, a an issue. And Amen Thompson, obviously, you know, that's the big hole in his game. So uh, th- that's the real thing with, you know, do you want to start or not, not do you want to play Jay Sean or do you want to play Cam Whitmore? And, you know, Jay Sean's going to know where to be and all that sort of stuff. And that was one of the Rockets' issues is guys just didn't know where to be. And Cam Whitmore, you know, he's he's going to be a rookie. He's not going to know where to be. And, and that's going to be a work in progress. You you assume defense just gets better with the coach, but it also gets better with experience. And so that's going to be a big deal. You know, the, the, they're talking about this trade. And I keep hearing people say, this is what they say, Sean. They go, well, you know what? Nobody's going to want to trade for this guy that's a abuser and stuff like that you know you're, you're not trading for him teams don't look at it like that and fan bases are smart enough not to look at it like that you're not trading for kevin porter you're trading for his contract and the draft picks that the rockets are going to offer you know and and, and it, it might not happen before the season but somewhere you know down the line in the middle of the season while he's likely suspended and i assume he is this is not going to be any money that somebody else is going to have because if he's suspended you're not paying him mm-hmm. so this is a guy that as, the other team that does not have to pay until he comes off a of suspension and you know who knows what miles bridges would have gotten as a suspension but he didn't play for a year so basically he didn't play you you basically had a year of without pay same sort of situation that kevin porter was in so you know just I, I just want people to like rethink this thing that, oh, nobody 
And and I feel like this is much more, you see it from a national perspective where they go, nobody's going to trade for Kevin Porter. You have to understand basketball. You're not trading for Kevin Porter. You're just trading for his contract because, you know, nothing is guaranteed. I think there's like 1 million guaranteed next year. That's it. And then you can just cut bait on him. And that's the end of the story. So, you know, it's very possible that the Rockets could do well, something. And that's that's the that's the only other thing that could prevent Cam Whitmore from playing, you know, or Ahmed Thompson from playing is if they trade for somebody that takes those minutes, you know, some veteran that takes those minutes. Yeah. And if you're the Rockets, I mean, what are your expectations in terms of what you're going to get back? Hell, they're going to have to use draft capital to get rid of this dude anyway. And so that sweetens the pot even more for the team that's taken on that contract. Well, they're not going to trade. A, well. They're not going to trade a draft pick for him to, or with him unless, you know, they're, they're getting somebody back that they can really use and they think is going to be, a real piece. I, they're not going to give. What are you going to get though in this situation? I mean, everybody's legitimately got you by the balls. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not, like, not really, because you can just cut bait with them. And like I said, beyond beyond this year, he's owed I think one million dollars, and that's it. And the other thing is, other teams, there might be like some bad team that says, "Well, we're going to be bad. We could use the draft picks over this guy that's making fifteen million dollars a year on our right. roster." So right. sure, we'll take we'll take a we'll take that draft pick that you give us, and and then so we don't have to play this veteran guy because we're mm -hmm. trying to play younger guys because we're a younger team, and so they go here Rockets, you take this this guy. We're trying to lose anyway. Kevin Porter's not going to play, and we're getting a draft pick. Sure, thanks, we'll do that exactly. because that, that that like say that Brooklyn Nets pick, yeah, um that 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 might be a lottery pick, but it's. The odds are it's not going to be a high lottery pick because Brooklyn, you know, this year, they're not going to be terrible. They're still going to be a decent team. So, you know, that might be worth it for some team. And this is not a good draft. So I, if I'm the Rockets, do I care about a, a ninth, 10th, 12th pick next year and what looks like not the best draft? Not really. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, better than a kick in the head, though, um, especially considering who Rafael Stone has drafted, you know, in recent years. Uh, I mean, you want the best shot you possibly can have. And, you know, the Rockets will have that. They'll they'll get somebody. Uh, but I don't even want to think about the draft right now. It's uh, maybe more interesting to see, like, who they're going to – if they don't get anybody back that they can actually use via this trade, if it, you know, happens, what area on this team do you feel like is the – biggest glaring hole right now that they could go out and fill you know with an, a separate trade or um you know is there another free agent out there at this point in time that they could bring in uh to add depth to that position yeah i don't know about a free agent but the hole that they have to fill is really a wing spot because you if you're losing kevin porter you know you're losing some wing depth like mm -hmm. i said they could very much use some shooting they still i think could use another big that runs at the rim. Boban, I don't get the signing of Boban. Super nice guy. I know, you know, he's the great mascot for the team. But yeah, that that would be the, the choice for me is maybe somebody like a rim runner or something. For whatever reason, they're not interested in Clint Capella. And that's two years and $20 million. And, you know, that's somebody they could, you know, they could definitely go after because maybe the Hawks, you know, the Hawks have a guy that is ready to step in for Clint Capella at the five spot. So that, that could you know, technically be somebody that they, but if they were going to go after Capella, I thought they would have done that 
because they could have done that instead of the Brooke Lopez situation. Exactly. So exactly. yeah, I just, and, and Sean, I want to get to U of H before we close out because I was looking forward to this first big 12. I was so excited, but then I'm getting yeah. more and more depressed at this Holgerson experience. And we haven't had a chance to hit Rice's upset of the Cougars, just a no show for most of the game for U of H. And I got to say, and this is going to be a strong statement, Sean, but barring a shocking initial Big 12 season, I can't imagine Dana Holgerson gets to hang around another year. Losing no T to the Owls, that's the last straw. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say because there's it just it, there's a lot of football left. You know, it's still early in the season. But, I mean, where do you go? Like, how, how do you feel about your team um, just eking by UTSA week one and then showing up late. It was too little too late against Rice. Like, what are you supposed to feel like that this offense, this team is capable of when you go down the road and you lose like that to the Owls? It's it's not promising. And, you know, look, that TCU game was huge. Yeah, like your first Big 12 conference game, it's just watered down now, right? Um, that's the feeling. But <sighs> – I don't know that I was going to feel really good about it either way, just because of the way that this team has looked offensively, even if the Cougs, you know, would have pulled that out and triple overtime the other night against Rice. It took you freaking three overtimes, you know, to mess around with the Owls. If this team is 2-0 and coming home for TCU, I don't know what I would have felt like anyway. TCU is still a really good program. I get what they what happened to Colorado and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, national champion runner up last year, fine, whatever. It was still going to be really hard, really hard game for the Cougars. And Holgerson, I kind of thought like this is a guy that because of Big 12 experience, because of recruiting pipelines, um, because you want something stable going into a new conference, like it was an easy play to just kind of keep him on and see what he can do with new quarterback, you know, Donovan Smith. Um, you're getting well, a, you're recruiting now Big 12 players, so that this roster and mm-hmm. this whole setup should look like a Big 12 team. And what we've seen the first couple of weeks is, man, would they have been lucky to do something in their old conference the way they've looked? And, and he, so exactly. he's literally had the chance to go to guys out there on the recruiting trail the last two years. Hey, you're going to be playing in the Big 12, you know. There's no excuse now for Dana Holgerson not getting a really good quality player. And and we're just not seeing that. And we're not seeing the genius of Dana Holgerson, the offensive coordinator either. What Where has that gone? Yeah. Um, you know, I can't blame the players either because I like what I'd seen from Brown. I like what I'd seen from Golden. I like their backfield of Mathis and Snead. I like their quarterback. I think Donovan Smith could be really, really good if they just open the damn offense up um, and and just, just spread it out. He, he could throw. He can run. He's strong, powerful, tough guy to bring down. Um, I don't know if if the offense is too much for him. I don't know. I can't speak to him mentally if this if this offense is just too crazy for him, if it's just not creative enough for the talent that they have. I don't know where I'm at yet, but it's definitely underwhelming. 
and the defense just flat out isn't good enough to make up for the offensive shortcomings. They've got holes themselves. Uh, I think they've been one of the worst tackling teams in college football for my money, having just watched these first two games. It's it's pretty weak for a defense that, you know, you're trying to sell as, you know, physical and, you know, kind of smash mouth, like we're going to put your, you know, what in the dirt. They ain't look like that at all. I mean, to let them to, to look like they did against Rice, or they just did anything that they wanted to do. They ran, they threw, play action was working, like ill-disciplined football penalties. It's just, it looked like, you know, uh, the bottom feeder of a CUSA squad, not not a Big 12 team. It's been really hard to get excited about this team right now. Um, and look, maybe everything that I'm saying uh, maybe they bring their best game. Maybe Holgerson opens things up. Uh, maybe their backs are against the wall and they put out a great showing against TCU. I don't know. I'm holding out a little sliver of hope, but it's to this point, you lose to Rice any year. Um, I can't tell you the last time they did, but it hurts, man. It stings. You going? You going this Saturday? I am not going uh, Saturday. I've got to work. Uh, I'll be doing PA work for the Dynamo. Uh, but I will be there for the Sam Houston game doing PA for the football team. So excited about that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll be excited about that, at least after a, um, a respectful showing against TCU, I'll say. Yeah, go listen uh, for Sean uh, if you go to that Sam Houston game or if you're out, even if you're out at the Dynamo this, this weekend. Um, thanks so much, Sean. We are going live once again, every single Texans game after this one. Can't wait. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see more Tank Dell, please. More Damian yeah. Pierce, please. Uh, more C.J. Stroud, time in the pocket, please. If we can get some of that, it should be fun, again, to watch Texans games at NRG Stadium. Yeah, sprinkle in all of the above, man, and I think it's going to – it could amount to their first dub of the season, their first home win, and I don't know how long. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Touchdown!